It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Hello and welcome to another special edition of the Rogue Report podcast. We have... Two more club men uh, to talk to today, and the first is former Sunderland captain Kevin Ball. So, how are you, Kevin? Very well, thank you. Very well indeed. Bit tired uh, after journey back last night, but yeah, good, good, good. Uh, you tell me about your breakfast before. Do you want to? No, I don't want to reiterate what I had for <laughs> breakfast this morning, but I will tell the owner. You said that uh, <laughs> toast with a drop of bees honey on, absolutely marvellous. Definitely. And we've also got Paul Reed, who is uh, just joined the club this summer to be the academy manager. So, how are you, Paul? More good, thank you very much. Good, and how how are you fitting in? Fitting in quite well, I'd like to think. Uh, the staff have been really good to me, very welcoming. Um, it's difficult when you come in as academy manager in terms of you, you don't have that team around you, that ready-made team, like a, a first-team manager will come in and maybe bring his assistant and, uh, and a coach. I've got to make this team my team. Uh, like I said, the staff have been excellent with me so far. Uh, hopefully I've come across pretty well to them uh, I said they've been great to me in person hopefully they, uh, they're saying the same uh, to each other behind my back as well and this will be your um, chance to get the fans on side today because I think this is one of the first interviews you've done so hopefully you, you do well smash it out the park yeah let's hope so <laughs> it depends what he does for a staff Christmas do that's where he's going to be judged on <laughs> you got plans for that there is some plans uh, Linda's social secretary uh, one of the admin team so I've passed on that responsibility. Like, oh, I'm sure they'll come to me when they, uh, the drinks are no, He has a final say, like, yeah. yeah. Uh, before we get going, though, uh, I think our listeners would love a game of weird association with Bawley. So, I'm not playing that sort of game. I don't do things like that. You're not playing both no, ways? Play, let Paul play it, and then if I get the angle of it, I'll be all right. Go on, then. Well, Paul won't get these ones. I mean, Oh, go on, then what? Yeah, well, there's a list here, but they're just people you've played with and stuff. Oh, go on, then. It's fine. Then. Well, first one's a team, actually. The first one's Coventry C. Right. What? You got to think of a, a word that you would use to describe Coventry. My City. time at Coventry City or Coventry City. Your time. My time at Coventry. Challenging. Niall Quinn. What's he like as a bloke? Top. Kevin Phillips. Small. Bob Murray. Funny. Mick Buxton. Fantastic. Portsmouth. Great. Ellis Short. Great. Terry Butcher. Great. Peter Reed. Great. <laughs> David Dunn. David Dunn. Her. <laughs> Bobby Saxton. Uh, magnificent. I thought you were going to say Mingin. No, no. I could <laughs> never say that about a man like that. The bloke's magnificent. Uh, Lee Clark. Lee Clark partner. Okay, cool. We've done that now. Now, Paul, I want to... Uh, I think Can people... I, no, am I not allowed to elaborate on that, though, as well? 
can, yeah. Not now, just asking. Yeah. Right. Okay. In a bit then, yeah. Yeah, yeah, we'll go back. Which ones do you want to talk about again? All of them. Okay, we'll do that. Right. We'll do that at the end. There is a section called Baldy section right at the end. So we'll, we'll, we'll do that. <laughs> that. That's the 75 minutes. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, Paul, you leave at that point. Um, but Paul, before we, we get going again with, with you, I think Sunderland fans would benefit from you know, learning a little bit about you as a, as a player and afterwards and what has led you to this point of being academy manager. So where did you start? Where did you end up and how are you here? Yeah, so I was born in Carlisle, um, came through the ranks there, uh, started playing for them at 17 and then had quite a few moves throughout my career. Um, Glasgow Rangers, Preston, uh, Northampton, Barnsley, uh, trying to think of all my clubs, Colchester, Northampton again, and then I finished my career down at Eastleigh. Uh, that's where I met the, met the, the current chairman. Uh, spent a couple of years working for a football agency and then retired a couple of times and then got brought out of retirement from playing uh, back down at Eastleigh. And then spent a little bit of time trying to educate myself. Uh, I'm currently still doing a, a master's degree in sporting directorship. I did a postgraduate diploma in uh, sports management with the Johan Cruyff Institute. Spent a couple of years doing that. Uh, found me playing, playing time come to an end at Eastleigh. Uh, and the chairman very kindly offered me the role of head of recruitment there, which was about uh, developing a process to obviously recruit players and, uh, and what we were actually looking for in players. Uh, and it was kind of a, a combination of all those things that led me to this role. I was sat with the chairman talking about my vision for Eastleigh Football Club uh, I gained a bit of knowledge from the the master's degree and just explained how I could see the football club running. Uh, as I was sat there talking about it in his office, he received a phone call uh, about Sunderland. Uh, so it was probably right place, right time for me. Um, let's say look uh, opportunities when uh, look meets hard work, and I think I was I was there at the right time talking about the right things, and the, and the chairman seen something in me to to bring me up here. So when did you know you were going to get offered the role? Was it there and then? Or? No, um, it dragged on for probably six to eight weeks. Um, I mean, the chairman hadn't even taken over the club at that point. It was it was very much at the discussion stage. Um, my, my phone went crazy one Sunday morning. Uh, people texted me to say that the chairman had actually taken over at Sunderland. Uh, again, it, it went on for a couple of weeks. I mean, I've got a great relationship with the chairman and I'd like to think he, uh, he thinks highly of me, but... At the same time, when you take over a, a club of this size, I'm I'm not the number one priority. Um, so he, he had an awful lot of things to sort out before, kind of speaking to me. I was I was actually on holiday with my wife and and two kids and received an email uh, to say this this is uh, this is what we see for you. And after coming back off holiday, I think I was home two days and then found myself in Sunderland. Did your playing career kind of prepare you for a movement in this line of work? Did you always know you wanted to be more in the sort of director side rather than the the management side or is that something you're still interested in yeah completely um i i see that as as my passion i was captain of every club i ever played for i i enjoyed those dynamics in a dressing room leading a team understanding what made people tick how to talk to people how the, uh people responded to different ways of uh communication so when my playing career came to an end it was it was never the coaching that kind of uh, ignited my my passion. It was it was more that strategic overview of a of a sporting organisation, which is exactly what I've got now. 
Okay, we're going to jump in now to talk about the, the academy structure. So first things first, Kevin, this yeah. one's for you. Uh, Stuart and Charlie were adamant in this very room yeah. on the first day they took over that you were going to be more involved in the academy. Yeah. And, and what is your role now? Um, I still do uh, look after the lads on the ground loan. So when the young players go out on loan, um, sort of I'll start, let's say, the process off. And then obviously I'll speak with Paul, the rest of the staff, um, find out if it's, if it's right for the player. Um and then once they're away, I sort of help manage that, which I quite enjoy. It can be a lot of travelling and sometimes great things. Like on Saturday, you know, I drove down to watch Elliot Embleton play for Grimsby and that. And you're watching the game to start with and he wasn't in the game at all. Within five minutes, he sort of flipped the game on its head, then scored an unbelievable mm-hmm. goal and literally brought the whole team to life. So from our point of view as an academy, when one of our young players out on loan getting the experience he needs, I do think we need to be monitoring very closely because it's a, an important part of their career. So I do that. I still do my own best stuff and I go out, I assist a lot in training, I go out and watch. doesn't mean I'm actively involved all the time in coaching. Um, I think we've got leads at every department. So my thing would be to assist them, help them. If I ever want to get my kit on, I can do that. Um, the big thing is just them to know that you've got an experienced head alongside them that can help them and ultimately help the players as well because everybody likes somebody to sort of listen to or be listened. And I quite enjoy that, to be honest with you. And it's nice when you go out and watch training and you see things. I watched our under-18s the other week and they were working on their defensive set plays in the, the FA Youth Cup. So I'm watching it in training. Then I'll go down to Halifax to watch them and you see it come out in the games. And I go and speak to the coach and I was talking to him about it and I said, they're the sort of things that you should really emphasise to the players of what you've worked on in training. It's come out in the game and you've done, you've done it really well and they'll carry on wanting to do it. But yeah, I, I enjoy the coaching side. I mean, like Paul, Paul's role he was talking about there is, is one way of going. Mine was to always be coaching. When I finished playing, I had a plan in my head that I would get my pro licence within a certain period of time and I'd done it. Did I find coaching easy to start with? No. If I'm brutally honest, it was quite a change from playing and that and, and you didn't realise how much effort and work and commitment goes into it. But I'd done what I said I was going to do. I got my pro licence within five years of finishing playing. Um, thoroughly enjoyed it. I would have said that as like what Paul's doing now, things evolve so much. The pro license is probably totally different to when I started. So I do enjoy the coach. And I think what I enjoy the most is actually seeing our players succeed, whether it's really our club, which is the ultimate aim is to get mm-hmm. our players through to the first team, or whether or not they leave us and, and get a career playing elsewhere or a career elsewhere, not necessarily playing. Yeah. And do I get a great deal of satisfaction? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And Paul, um, there's been a lot of change at the club this summer, um, including obviously the appointment of yourself. But what did you walk into at the Academy Elite? I think exactly that, uh, an environment of change. Uh, it was a little bit unsettled. I think change does that to people. I think nobody quite knows what to expect. Every, everyone's a little bit jittery. Um, there's obviously redundancies made uh, when the chairman very first came in and a lot of restructuring. So, yeah, I think it was just kind of an uneasy time. I think hopefully we're, we're three, three and a half months into that in terms of my role. So hopefully I'd like to think that the academy staff that I oversee feel a bit more confident because that's what I want from them. I, I went in straight away and, and wanted them to feel valued. I wanted them to feel empowered enough to to bring ideas to the table, not just be sat there doing the work and be scared to 
put their head above the parapet. I wanted I wanted more from them. And I think we're actually getting to the stage where people are talking about ideas to improve their department rather than just getting on with their job. What what have you had to almost immediately change? Were there any things when you walked in and you're like, you know, that's not right when you a hundred percent change that or was there really not that much to do? I mean, the culture and atmosphere was a big thing, but it's hard to actually define that. If you yeah. want to talk about something physical, and it sounds really strange to say it, it was moving some cupboards. And let me explain. It was... No, I've got, I get it. I think it's brilliant. And I do think it's right. So, yeah, he's not a cupboard man, but he's right. <laughs> it's, it's really strange. But honestly, you wouldn't believe the impact that it had. So the way the offices are set up, the academy offices are on one side, and on the other side, there's the, the first team staff, so the, the manager and... Uh, assistant, everything, and I can't remember which manager did it, but there's there they were trying there, to section, yeah, it yeah they were trying to, to section it off. They, they made it separate. So, so we're talking about this vision of one club and we're all in this together, and then physically you've got this row of cupboards right along the academy wall, separating us from the first team section. So we, you could actually go days and weeks without seeing anybody mm-hmm. uh, from the first team. So this was explained to me. I was like, well, let's just move them. So we had an afternoon that talking big, heavy cupboards. We moved moved them all and put them by the wall and it was like the Berlin Wall coming down it was people like <laughs> saying hello across across the office and honestly the difference it's made is is honestly unbelievable I think at the time there was more there were reasons why they'd done it um, but I think Paul was right moving them because ultimately to be successful it has to be a flow through but there was a reason why it was done which I won't go into but it is much better you go in there now it's open it's lively it's buzzy and for me, when you're going to work, it's got to be like that. Yeah. You want to see people, yeah, everybody's working on a computer doing something, but you want to see that thing where people look like they're enjoying themselves. And it's been good, hasn't it? I think so. Mm. Uh, there's a lot of talk about our academy being a category one, um, but in truth, I, I don't think many people actually know what that means. You know, what is a category one compared to a category two? So <laughs> can you explain sort of the, the basic differences between I'll the two? That, yeah, and what we wrong. have to do to keep category one status. Yeah, so category one status is based on facilities. So the fact that we've got an, an indoor uh, arena, the fact that we've got an outdoor 4G pitch, um, the actual amount of staff that we've got. So the difference between a cat one and a cat two would be we've got more coaches, more uh, analysts, and just overall offer, offer a better program. So the, the, the cat one program is elitist. It's supposed to be the best in the country, and you're judged against other uh, top clubs. And it's 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 how you compare to those. What you deliver, in, it, in the sense. So what about what, what's cat two then? So what would be when they were talking about the potentially having to drop and they were insistent they wouldn't? What would that have meant? Are you talking about less staff? Uh, obviously, you're not going to get rid of facilities. We've got what we've got mm-hmm. at the academy, which the is criteria fantastic. for when you where you can get players from is different, isn't it? Yeah, and everything like that. There's a load of ifs, buts, and maybes. But the main thing is, if we keep cat one, it's good from our point of view as well. It allows us to recruit from a larger area. I think teams or players, I should say, when you are looking to recruit, would they prefer to go to a Cat 1 club? I'd like to think so. But I also think it's, uh, I think we, we, we've earned that right. To have, there's a lot of work goes into it, by the way. A lot of work, isn't there, goes into doing it. Sometimes I wonder whether the work that you have to do away from football, sometimes I keep thinking to myself, can we get out on the pitches mm-hmm. more? More to do with that and, more, and less to do within the office, if you know what I mean. Do you end up getting like a... 
an Ofsted inspection, so to speak. Similar, isn't it, really? Yeah, it is. Yeah. We, we get audited. Uh, they're just changing the audit process. It was a case where they came in in one hit and did a, a snapshot, and, and you've judged on that. It's going to be more of a, a regular process now, but the, uh, they're, they're still organising what that looks like. So what does a regular day look like for Paul Reed? You're getting on a Monday. What do you do? Yeah, um, so I've got into a habit of trying to get Not up early. breakfast. I don't have breakfast. <laughs> uh so I get caught up in, in emails and other things to I end up not having breakfast a lot of the time. My usual day would be I get up uh, just before six, try and get in the club, quarter past six, and try and have half an hour in the gym. I, I didn't do it to start with, and I just find myself feeling an awful lot better for doing it. It's kind of half an hour I take to myself every day that, I mean, I'm not training anywhere near like I did when I actually played, but just just keep myself ticking over and like I say it's, it's actually thinking time a lot of it I would uh, get back into the office after the gym probably around 7 uh, open the email inbox which is usually flooded try and respond to a few of them I'd try and catch up on the uh, the news stories because you can often I often find that you, you're in the office and you actually lose the outside world you'd, you'd, you've not got Sky Sports news on and major things are happening and not just sports actually in the world itself and you've actually no idea because I've not read a paper I've not seen the news uh, so I like to catch up on that and then every day is different like I usually come in in the morning after catching up on the emails and write down some specific things what I want to achieve in that day but I'm quickly finding out that that can go out the window within the first half an hour uh, you kind of set off on a path and the academy's got around 77 staff which I'm responsible for at any point, anyone could knock on the door and say, this has happened, what do you think of this? And your day goes off in a, a totally different direction. That's the majority of the day, really. And then probably f- as the evening uh, comes in, the uh, the lads are in training. So I, I often go down the barn or, or outside just to catch up on some of the younger lads' training. Do you ever do any coaching? I haven't yet. Um, do you plan on, though? I don't. No. It's something that... It, it, it's not my skill set. Uh, I think the fact that I've played to a half decent level means that I can have a, a conversation with the coaches. I can give an opinion, uh, which hopefully they they respect. But I'm not a football guru that's going to come in and tell the coaches they should be doing this and that. A lot of times, I'll have a conversation about a game or about a training session, and it is that. It's about a conversation. It's a, a sharing of ideas. It's not me thinking I know best. Uh, I'm not asking questions to trip people up. It is just a genuine conversation to to learn from each other. Same question to you, Kevin. What yeah. what's a typical day like for you? My my week really varies because obviously I, you plan to go to games. Um, I might be doing some ambassador stuff. I might be driving to watch our lads on loan. I might like last week, I I drove to Halifax to watch some teams uh, on the night and thoroughly enjoyed it. It was great to see them win. Then I went from there across to Grimsby, um, stopped the night just outside Hull Airport and the next morning went in to meet the Grimsby manager, speak to him about Elliot, find out how things have been going, get their gist on what they want to do going forward and then come back. And then on the night, I attended the uh, Echo Portfolio Awards on behalf of the club. So my weeks can vary all the time. I enjoy going in to watch training, whether it be watch the under-14s or one of the other age groups, the under-18s or the under-23s. Um, so my week can literally vary from week to week do I get up at six o'clock and go in the gym absolutely not <laughs> if at anything at six o'clock I'll probably turn over if I'm honest like um I think sometimes the traveling especially when you get back late at night 
knocks your body clock a little mm -hmm. bit. Um, I probably do get up about quarter past seven and I like to go on my bike, but I think I pick when I want to go on my bike. I don't, I haven't got into a habit of it yet and maybe that's something I should do. Fair play. Uh, what about your relationship? I'm not expecting this to be a loving, but you know, what, <laughs> yeah, yeah. what is your relationship like and how close do you work together? Um, well, obviously Paul doesn't do the cooking. I do that. Um, now and again, he'll do the dishes, but um, <laughs> <laughs> we, we have the relationship where the, the big thing is for Paul, I think he's alluded to already. My experience comes a lot in coaching, partly in, obviously managing really as well. When you consider I've done the 18s, 21s and first team at the club. Um, Paul's skill set is what he's already uh, uh, spoken to you about and that. So I think it actually works quite well because I'll sit and listen to Paul about something and, and I might be thinking, never thought of that. Then Paul could tap into me about any coaching experience because I'll probably have done it before when it comes to talking about a young players on loan. We'll talk about it. Obviously, we all have a, an opinion on it and then we have to come to a collective decision. If it was one where we all had different thoughts on it and then Paul would make the decision. And I, and I think that's the right thing to do. He's the academy manager. I'll come in in the morning and, and like what he said earlier on, his door's always open. I'm not sure about his taste in music yet. I'm trying to get used <laughs> to that because he has it on the sideline. And the nice thing is you can go in and speak. So I might go, have you got a minute? Now, obviously, I'll wait if, you know, if he's busy and that. Then we'll go in and we'll talk briefly about the players that are out, anything that's happening. He knows that I'm there any time to pick up the phone if there's something he wants to talk about something he wants to pass by or and when I say that I'm talking about sometimes just sharing something that he's not too sure about and he might go what do you think on that now I might say my thoughts and Paul might go away yeah you're spot on or he might go well yeah I see but and then he stick with what that's how I think it should work and the biggest thing for me I, I think with with phones and I've always said it to any of the players I've ever coached and I still say it to them now and I still say it to me teammates you can be literally contacted 24-7 and do I like mobile phones, no, I'd prefer to speak to somebody face-to-face, -face, if I'm honest. And they are a means to an end. But I've always said, if you need anything, pick up the phone and I'll speak to you. And if I can help you, I will. If I can't, then I'll say, no, I can't do that. You know, I, I one of our former players, I was away in Norway at the time. And it was one o'clock in the morning and my phone went and he rang. And he said, I just need to ask somebody a question who would be honest with me. So he asked the question and I told him the answer. And he went, right, cheers. And he doesn't even play for us no more. And he's a senior player. So it was quite nice. But like I said, I think the main thing for myself and Paul is we have open dialogue. If I'm not sure about something, I'd ask him if he's not sure about something, we'd do the same. Who are the other key players behind the scenes that are involved in the day-to-day -day running and organising at the academy? I think we'd, we'd go with all your lead coaches, wouldn't you, really? You've got a whole set which Paul can speak to you about. I mean, I've worked with most of them. And, and the nice thing is they all have an allegiance with the club, an affinity with the club, which is great. You know, you look at the lead at 23s, Elliot. Elliot's been here since, you know, God knows when. And when I look back, I remember playing in the in the reserves as it was then with Elliot, when Elliot was an under 18. It was away, I think it was away at Bradford. I was coming towards the end of it. Was it me into crime? I'm not too sure, actually, but I needed to play. Saka might have said that you need a game or something like that. And I went down to Bradford with the under 18s to play. I was captain of the club, senior player. I think I was the only player. Bradford had a team that had all played in the Premier League at Valley Park, and we beat them. And Elliot still talks about it now. So <laughs> Elliot understands how the club runs. You know, he, the roles he's had within the club, he understands how it works. And he's a very good coach. He worked at me with under 18 level. He's an excellent coach. And then you've got Bryce, who's the lead at 18s, and Procky, the lead at 16s. And then it carries all the way down, and you'll have coaches that are leads elsewhere and support the other staff. But the nice thing is they all enjoy doing what they do.
any more you could add into that recruitment no, th- side think, as well? I think, and and even the girls, sorry, to, and even the girls at Dorda admin. I think if if you didn't have them, you would be in a pickle because yeah. they are excellent at what they do, and they probably only think keep it all streamlined, don't they? Really? Yeah, everyone plays the part. Yeah. I mean, the fans and everybody else outside sees the end product, sees hopefully someone yeah. coming through the academy and and getting into the first team, and that's maybe the first they see of that player. And the player certainly takes the majority of the credit for it. It's them that's done the hard work. It's them that's listened. But honestly, the amount of work behind that player is astronomical. All, yeah. all the people that Paul has mentioned there, admin staff, recruitment, psychologists, medical. medical. Frightening, yeah. yeah. Well, that's all the, support all the coaching. Got, yeah. Honestly, the amount of work that actually goes into getting a player all the way through the academy and into the first team, it, it genuinely took me by surprise a little bit. It, it was... It was an eye-opener for me, the, the amount of detail that the staff go into to, to try and make sure that these lads reach the potential. It's the best opportunity they could have, and it's there from Everything's there from Ultimately, they've got to utilise that. The, the facilities at the Academy of Light, excuse me, I know a lot of people have probably have seen it. I'd love it to be where it was like some days where we had like an open day where yeah. the supporters, you know, in, in sort of t- so many at certain times could come and have a look around it. A little bit of not free ranks would all be there to show them around and that, but actually to see what it's really like downstairs, to see the facilities they've got and, you know, poor say go in and use a gym, the swimming pools they've got there. I mean, I used to love swimming and I honestly believe that when you're swimming, you think of more sessions that you think, and then you're, you're piecing your mind's brilliant. So from a coach's point of view, it's awesome. From a player's point of view, we're basically saying they are, this is like Disney World for footballers. You make the most of it and enjoy it. And if they choose not to do that, well, there's not a lot we can do about that, but we are actually saying we're here to help you. Let's try and fulfil your potential. Do you think sometimes the players are almost too pampered? Do you think it's maybe too if, good? If you don't, right. So we talk about pampered, like we talk about, there has been times when they talk about what jobs they do, for example, clean first team boots, make sure their changing rooms are tidy. And, you look at all of that, and I've been reading articles recently about academies abroad, and they were talking about a 10-year-old, what they expect their players to do, make sure their changing rooms tidy, make sure they do their rotors or their jobs and stuff like that. Um, it's a self-discipline. They're, therefore, one day, they're playing on the football pitch, and manager said, right, have you got self-discipline? Pick up so-and-so from the corner. They don't bother doing it. So it all has a cumulative effect. I think it's of paramount importance that that is within the academy. Do you know what I mean? Where they actually do do their roles and they discipline their jobs. And so when it comes to being pampered, if you can install in them good discipline from a young age, a responsibility as well, it'll help them as they go through. If we pamper them, which I, I for one minute don't think we do, I think it would be the wrong thing to do. I mean, I can remember as an ex-player, Paul would say the same. I remember washing, you know, my own kit, getting my own dinner, doing my own, it didn't bother me. And, you know, we we played hundreds and hundreds of games, so why should these young players coming through not do the same thing? If they've made a mess in their time, why shouldn't they clear up their mess? Do you know what I mean? You know, if yeah. they take the kit to the laundry lady and it's all twisted out, inside out, upside down, I'd say to her, put it back in, I'll take it back in and go sort that out, then you can wash it like that. Why should she have to stand there for half an hour, tidy it all out because they're too lazy to do it? No, I'm... I don't think ours are pampered, are they? No, and it's a key part of our strategy going forward to to instil humility, to make mm. sure that the lads know that they are very fortunate. Yeah. I want them to get out in the community more and, and understand the the people that they represent. Uh, we've got quite a few uh, schemes on the go at the moment uh, with the education and, and welfare department talking about uh, volunteering at homeless shelters, uh, volunteering at food banks, 
putting them in some difficult social situations like co-presenting for primary school kids, just really getting getting the players out there and making them realise that there's a big wide world out there. Um, I'm a big believer in better people make better players. I think if we can educate the players off the pitch, it will certainly help them on it as well. Um, our main aim is is to get players through the academy and into the first team. I think nobody likes to talk about it, but we've got to be real and say the percentages of people coming through the uh, academy into the first team is very slim. That's just the reality of football. I think if we can give them enough tools uh, to make sure that they're a success, if it isn't going to be football, they're, they're a success in another industry. I think that's that's credit to us as well. Uh, coming into our academy and potentially leaving it. 16, 17, 18 shouldn't be a disadvantage for players. They shouldn't be going out and competing with other people and being behind them. That They should actually have benefited from the experience of being within our academy. Did you not do a thing with John Egan recently? Was it John Egan? Was mm, it you? No. No. Well, like you, you, what Paul said to us, something that we've been really strong about over the years, is about when the player's coming in. And I can remember sitting down with a, a, a director many, many, many years ago asking, you know, what my main name is. And, and I actually said to produce footballers, and he was sort of saying about the first time, and I got that. But then we're talking about a career anywhere and not just a career in football, if you know, if they're lucky, because mm-hmm. you still have to have that degree of luck, but if not a career in something else. And and I don't know if this is probably in the news or has been, like we had a lad called Richard Smith come in and Richard was unbelievably academically bright, ridiculous, ridiculous, but also a good footballer. So when he got to a certain stage, like the head of education at the time, Brian Buddle, was really good at making sure his education kept developing and that, and Richard was being challenged in different ways. But then it came to the time when his contract was up. So myself, I think it was Jed, Elliot would have been involved. We're all sat there thinking, right, what's the next step with him? Now, I thought he was a really good footballer. He really reminded me of you know, what Chris Smalling is like, really good footballer and also a cracking lad, great, great lad. Um, so we get to this stage where, He's academically ridiculously bright. Possibly he could go and get a pro ticket or we release him and go back and do his A-levels, the rest of his A-levels and pursue his academic work. Richard is just currently or is still at Harvard University as I think he's a top paediatrician. I think that's what they said. Now, this is a lad who's the same age as my Luke and he's gone and done that. Now, at time, one of our, my mates was at Harvard who wanted to take him there because he had the academic work as also the football skill. Do we get as much pride in that Absolutely, yeah. But the work went in when they were younger as well. Mm-hmm. And I think that's really important. When players come into our academy, they have a degree of ability, don't they? So they should technically make a career in the game at some level if, they, if they're if they in our academy. If not, our recruitment staff have got something wrong with them because they should have that. What is important, though, is they fulfil that potential, whether it be go and play elite level, i.e. first team at any level, or to go out and play National League Conference, wherever like that. They should be doing something. If not... We also should be making sure they have that opportunity of a career, but they've got to make sure they buy into that as well. And I think when they leave, we'd like to think that they do want to do something. Will that be the case of everyone? Absolutely not. But I'd like to think we give them that chance. Whether they take that chance is up to them. Paul, how much contact do you have with Jack Ross, and particularly now that a lot of the academy players are graduating at the first team? I think last night we had, I don't know, six, it was good, like, yeah. six academy graduates in last night. I couldn't tell without going through the team, but there was a yeah. good sprinkle of them. Yeah, yeah it's good. I mean, how much do you speak to him about that? Because obviously I presume you'll be still kind of in charge of them young players in a yeah. sense. Yeah, we have a lot of informal chat. Um, 
the, the fact that we've brought down the cupboards helps. The fact that I can see him every day and uh, <laughs> and throw paper aeroplanes. Yeah, his and, and there is that informal chat. Like uh, I was lucky enough when I when I first came to the club, uh, there was a potential of me getting involved more on the recruitment side. Um, so I spent a couple of days with with the gaffer. He was just new in post. I hadn't actually been assigned a post, but I was trying to help him with uh, some of the players and a bit of uh, information on some of the the players that were getting put forward. So that was good for us in terms of like we, we got a bit of time together and got to know each other quite well early on. And the, the, the gaffer's brilliant. The, the fact that he's he's given the academy lads a chance, the fact that he's recognising people that uh, are showing a good attitude and doing well and actually giving them a platform to say, right, there's your, your reward. Uh, he's, he's promoting players in training. To, even coming up to, to train with the first team is a huge learning experience for the lads. Um, uh, people often ask me about the gaffer and it's, What's what's he like? And it's it sounds strange, but he's just normal. You can just go and have a conversation with him. He's he's very uh, thoughtful. He's he's in. You know, I never think of him as reactive to something. I always think anything he does is is quite well balanced and thought out. Um, but him and his staff are like a breath breath of fresh air for for me. They've uh, got a great like chemistry, haven't they? Yeah, and I think yeah. like ju- just things like th- that that bond between the first team staff and the academy staff. Like on a Thursday, we'll we'll play a game against each other, and just it, it started off like five sides. Players or was that the staff? Not the staff. The first team Who staff versus wins? the academy staff. Pardon. Who normally wins? I, I'm sorry to say the first team staff of uh, of, of, of <laughs> the last <laughs> at least the, the last couple. What's the usual teams? Well, I don't play. If you're asking, no. do you not? Have you not been invited yet? I'll be honest with you. I would want to kick someone, and that's why I wouldn't play. I never used to like playing in charity games. Um, because I would want to kick someone once it started. Um, so no, would I go? I might go and go now. Who should go? Patrick. 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 The, the, chef's, the chef's in goal. In goal like, yeah, no wonder you're getting beat. Like uh, the, the gaffer actually got booked last week for diving. Did he? <laughs> he did. Yeah. We've got a uh, cookie, the the kit man refereeing. He gets the gets Does the referee's kit on. Then? No, he's, he's refereed the last couple of times. Danny uh, Collins loves cookie. Every time I talk to Danny Collins, he always talks yeah. about how much he loves cookie. Cookie's yeah, a good guy. Like, yeah. Good guy. Uh, but, that, but that togetherness and that alignment between the first team and the academy staff I said I'm only talking since my time and, and going on what the previous uh, staff have said about what's happened before I don't think that alignment's been there in the past but honestly it, it probably couldn't be better right now uh, Kevin do you still keep in touch with players that have left Sunderland to play elsewhere there's a few of them moving around Dan Casey signed for Cork not so much Dan I did have a little bit of dealing when he left um but it was funny because like when I went down even to Grimsby the other week, the first person I bumped into was Jordan Cook who came for the academy. Yeah. And and obviously Danny was there as well. I spoke to Danny. But with Jordan, I can remember when he first came in, In his was more like uh, we were in two minds whether we offered him a scholarship. So he sort of was on, I don't know, Brian sorted it out where he was coming in and he was doing his work elsewhere and I wasn't comfortable with it because I thought he was a really good player. Really, really good player. And it was nice to sort of remember going back, sorting all of that out. And and then, so we have a really good chat. And what's nice from our point of view, and I've said this to Paul and the staff in the past, if we have a former player at the club, one of our young players are at, I know I can find out about them, what Mm -hmm. they've been like, whether they're in training, having a go. And and yeah, you can speak to the manager, but the players will always look out for them. And that's what Danny and Jordan have been doing with Elliot as well, for example. So yeah, you'll get like the other day, I uh, I was 54 years young. And then you'll get a message off some of the lads and that, like, Waggy send us a nice message and say, oh, well, he's doing down there. So that's nice. But I'd, like I said to you earlier on, 
my phone's always there. And if one of them want to ring me and, and a bit of advice or ask something or, you know, one of our other players uh, rang us the other day and he went, yeah, he said, and he, you know, he, he plays for another team now. He said, I want to run something by you. And I, it was quite nice, mm-hmm. you know, the fact that they value your opinion. Now, whether they choose to take it or not, it's up to them. So I'm going to meet him. And when I look at this lad's progression from when he started in the, the academy, coming into the under-18s when we were away in America, and I watched him play, and I just thought, he's a leader, this lad. You see what I mean? Now, he doesn't play for us now, but this is, and he's probably only 23, 24 at the moment. So I think that's nice to do that. And it's funny talking about, like, you know, going to George with the captaincy. When we were on that trip in America, I actually said to the lads on the last game, said, right, I've had enough of it this season. You know, I've managed your season, coached your season. You can take over the last game. And George was manager for the day. And unfortunately, there was a, an incident in the game where he had to take a player off because of something happened and that we felt was unacceptable. And I'm waiting like that. And I'm looking at George, like looking over, and he wouldn't do anything. It was comical. And in the end, I'm having to go, George, can you take him off, please, like that? And George was doing the shuffle up and down the line. Wouldn't do it, do you know what I mean? And then I'm going, Georgie, don't make me overrule you like that. Do you see what I mean? And then George ended up doing it. Now, and I'm quickly digressing into having seen, for example, how George has evolved over the years from when he first came into where he is now. For us as an academy, us as a club, it's fabulous to see because, like I said, I can remember George at 16 and now looking at him as captain of our club. I love it. Absolutely cannot tell you how much pride I feel as, a, as one of his coaches, like say one of them because he's had so much help over the years, which he's really embraced. But just in general terms of, I love seeing our local lads be given that opportunity and that opportunity is there for him now, which is great. I've got some questions from uh, readers. So first yeah. off, I want to thank... Uh, People from Ready to Go, the Sunderland Forum. Yeah. I don't know if you're aware of it, but they gave a lot of good questions. So, first one for Paul: Have you prepared and discussed a five-year plan on how the current youth players can be integrated in the first team? And if so, has this plan been discussed with the first team management? And have you input it yet? So, I would say there's, there's a five-year plan. I think because football's changes every day. It, it changes, yeah. So, I think to, to come in. And, and immediately implement a five-year plan. It's 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 undoable. I think I said being in the role three three and a half months. Probably the first thing was to assess the environment, assess what you've actually got in the building. Uh, having done that, yeah, there's there's constant conversations about. So I've I've got a board in my office of of every football every footballer within the academy in in every position, and we do succession plans of where we see it next year, what, what will the board look like the year after that, the year after that. So there is that that forward thinking. Um, in terms of conveying that to the first team staff, I think as much as the first team staff have been excellent getting around the academy, the, the focus is on the on the here and now for them that they came into a, a very difficult uh, job in the summer and they've done fantastically well to, to kind of turn it around and, and do what they've done so far. I think they they want to know more about the the here and now and what's on the cusp of in the first team, but that they're already starting to get round the academy groups, and I think think that will come in the future. That they're already talking to a lot of the academy coaches and putting on CPD events. Um, so so there there is that thought process, but I, I wouldn't I wouldn't say we're we're completely there yet. 
I think that would be really difficult to do because managers, and we've seen over the years at our club, I mean, I was reading an article um, yesterday and about an academy manager in Spain, how they do it because they said we have to implement sometimes our way, not to be against what the first team want to do because he said the managers are never here longer than three years. So it's really diff uh, important, I should say, that within an academy, you have a philosophy, you have... That's how way you want to play, but sometimes that can also be dependent on your players as well. You know, you try and implement a way of playing that your players are not capable of doing it. It actually is more detrimental than good for them. So I think it's it's really important what Paul Summers was saying. We have they have those bits now, and you know, a new manager could come in and literally could say, "Well, I'm not interested in that." That's his prerogative. Now you'd like to think managers won't do that, but there are going to be managers that are more focused on the here and now. The nice thing about Jack and and again, Paul said about it is, and his staff, they really do integrate well in the academy. And it's really saying to the players, here's your opportunity, come and grab it. And if they choose not to grab it again, that's their choice. But they are being given that opportunity. Um, but I think also what's important, that our identity as a club is installed within the academy in terms of what we expect from them. You know, um, the philosophy is always you want to see them play. You want to see good footballers. You want to see them given the opportunity to play and you want to see them evolve. Now, you want to see them in time evolve into the first team. But again, sometimes a lot of change doesn't help that. But then if we carry on giving them this uh, opportunity, they will become footballers, whether it's here or somewhere else, which we've spoke to about earlier. And we've got a lot of our players out there playing football at some level, which is, is good from our point of view. Is the training for the academy team similar to the first team? I mean, I look at, say, a team like Swansea, who had yeah. an identity for years. Yeah, yeah. You know, and I imagine that they put that all through their academies do we, we do that what, what we do is and I, I spoke to the, the management staff about it the first team management staff and they were very supportive it's my belief that I don't, I don't see the sense in teaching them one way of playing I don't see that I see our job as we spoke previously of making professional footballers so we spoke to the management staff and there's there's four kind of core points that we, we do right across the academy but around that there's a bit of fluidity so that framework but that licence to to be flexible around it. So, uh, again, the, the the gaffer's been very supportive. It's my belief that they shouldn't just play one formation. I, I don't see the sense of playing one formation all the way through the academy and then the gaffer saying, this isn't working, we need to play three at the back. And our players not knowing how to three, play three at the back and have, have any experience. So we've got kind of four core things that the manager wants to see in his team. Uh, so we've passed that right the way through the academy, but there's flexibility around that. There were a handful of players that left the academy in the summer. So Sam Greenwood went to Arsenal and Lucas Stevenson went to Liverpool. What happened with them individual cases and sort of what steps are in place to sort of stop that happening again? Yeah, so I, I can't talk too much about Sam because that, that literally happened as I came in. I, I didn't have a lot to, to do with that one. Lucas, um, we were approached by Liverpool to say there was an interest from them. Out of courtesy, we let Lucas's parents know that uh, there was interest from Liverpool. I think that's the right thing to do and allow him to make that decision. I had countless phone calls with uh, Paul, his dad, uh, to try and convince him to stay. Um, I hadn't actually seen Lucas at this point. Uh, just I went from the feedback from all the staff telling me how good he was. So I, I tried to arrange a meeting to, to put our case across, really, and, and say how much uh, we wanted him to stay with us. Uh, ultimately, they, they decided to to speak to Liverpool and, and make that decision to go to Liverpool. Um, we were compensated for that. I think 
the only things we can do to prevent that are number one, try and create an environment that the players don't want to leave. Um, and the, other, the only other thing we can do to protect ourselves is offer the players that we think have got high potential scholarships and <coughs> pro deals to make sure that if they do leave that we're compensated to the to the maximum level. Bawley, uh, you've obviously been involved in the academy for years now. Yeah. But what do you say are some of the, the big mistakes that have been made at the academy in, in recent years? And you think strides have been made to improve that? Because I know there was talk last year that players weren't allowed to go out on loan. I think I think you've, we have to be very careful to sit here now and sort of go back over things because what we tend to forget is the situation at that moment in time, yeah. if you get what I mean. So we can look back and go, well, we should have done that there, we could have done that there, we should have done this here. I think that's a really difficult one to answer. However, what I will say to you is there have been times when, and we sometimes have erred on the side of caution when maybe we've had players where the opportunity has been there for them to go out and we've probably, for whatever reason, had to say, no, when we should have probably been a bit braver and gone, actually, yes, he can go. Um, but I think it would be be wrong to sit here because, like I said, we, we cannot think about the situation at the time and, and then sort of talk about it all next. Do, do you think the academy suffered then because of the amount of change of managers? and um, has, it, has it suffered? Not really because the opportunity is always there. Now, whether it's not to be at our club, um, I still think the opportunity is still there to be a player. Now, whether they nece- uh, necessarily get into the first team. Now, to get in our first team when you're in the Premier League and, and even the Championship to, to a degree, you've got to be pretty good. You know what I mean? So, you know, that that elite level at right at the very top. So it's going to be difficult and you're probably only going to get one or two of them every so often. If you get one or two a year, you'd be doing absolutely fabulous. The fact that now we are where we are is give that opportunity more for the players um, do I think they've suffered? I think it's a time when we have to reflect back on it and ask ourselves, well, could we have done that better? And if we could, make sure in the future we do something about it. But I don't think it's worth looking back. You know, and, and there have been times when you thought, yeah, maybe you could have done that and maybe they should have done that. But that's something I'd like to think this manager may look at and go, well, you know, I could speak about what happened then and he could turn around and go, right, yeah, I get where you're coming from. And sometimes it might be a decision he makes, which might have a reflection later on further down the line on him, but he'll remember why he's made that decision and stick by it. So if it means a player going out on loan now, and it might mean later on he can't use him, he might have to say, well, the benefit to the player was then for me in the future, not necessarily now. Do you see what I mean? So, But he's good like that, so he will think about that as well. I'd, I'd agree with Bawley on that, that we, we don't need to be looking back too no. much. Like it's it's a fresh start, need to need to look forward. I think yep. we both agree on the loan strategy that yep. we want the young players to get out on loan. We want them to experience men's football and a men's environment and get those demands on them. I yep. think, like for, for me, I, I, w- I wouldn't want a player to be 21, 22 and in and around our first team and not played any games anywhere. I, I don't think that our gaffer should have to make a decision on someone at 21, 22 and think, is he ready? He should already have 50-plus games at at whatever level and we shouldn't still be asking questions about him at 2021. We should know that he's able to handle that. I think previously we've had people like Jordan Pickford go out on loan and success leaves clues. Uh, he, he went out and went, you'll know the club's better, yeah, Darlington and, and just, just, and just moved, them, yeah. moved all the way up through the levels and passed every challenge. I think you see the success in that and you think, well, why did we get away from that? I think 
it would certainly be part of my plan to to expose the players to, to more of that, which is why we've got Elliot out on loan, Max Strajic down at Eastley, Connor, Luke, Connor. Sam, there's a few out. Yeah. But going back to the bit with Jordan, Jordan, it, it, it was of paramount importance Jordan got challenged in the sense of his ability. And if he had just stayed all the time within certain levels of football, would he be where he is now? Listen, we don't know that. Let's, you know, mm-hmm. But at the times you're going, right, he needs to play first team football. 18s is not beneficial to him. Right, he needs to play higher men's football because the 21s is not beneficial to him. Now, as a lead coach of either of those two groups, do you want Jordan Pickford in golf here? Well, absolutely. Why? Because let's face it, mm-hmm. he's an absolutely top draw, fantastic keeper even at that age. But that's not the benefit for him and for the club long term. So it might mean, and which is happening a bit now, where in our 23s they're quite young and we're getting a lot of our younger players coming through because some of our older players are out on loan. So the benefit is to them, which in turn for the club, the benefit for the younger players is being exposed to a little bit older football, which will in long term benefit them. The challenge for Jordan at Tom was to go out of these levels. He'd done that and he had hundreds of games on his CV at a very young age. We've had other players. I remember Liam Noble, a lad that's currently, I believe, still captain of Hartlepool. And Liam was at Carlisle and a great footballer. And he came back and he went, um, I'm going to come back and see if I'm getting the first team. And I said, look, Mish, you've already burnt that bridge. I said, you know, when Roy Keane said to you, like, who's going to play in the first team, you hesitated. I said, he, you burnt your bridge there like that. I said, your backside back the car line, get more gains on, on your CV and that. And now he's done that and he's out and he's still got a career, whether it is in the National League, he's still got a career. He's played in the Football League as well. I think it's really important they do get exposed to it. And some of them find it really hard. And and is it a little bit daunting when they go away at a young age? Well, we're there to support them, myself predominantly, all the other staff, Paul, Elliot and all of that. But it's quite hard for them. But sometimes they need to get out in the big wide world and, and be chanting. And if they come back here, we hope they're all the better for it. And then in the end, at the right time, be challenging to get in our manager's first team. And then for us, that's a success. That's, that's why we talk about the, the high support and high challenge uh, environment. I think they've definitely got the, the high support. Like Bolly says they've got Bolly and, and the rest of the staff to support them every step of the way, but they need that challenge as well. Yeah. Then at some point, we need to kind of cut the apron strings and say, yeah. listen, this is what football is. You need to go, You need to go out and experience it. Kevin, you were involved obviously heavily with Jack Colback, Jordan Henderson, yeah. Jordan Pickford, but how frustrating is it to see them players leave the club when really they should have been the backbone of the squad for 10, 15 years? See, we go back to what I said earlier on, though. We can look back and say it's frustrating. It was not really, has it? Because they probably, at the time, it was the right thing for the club for that. Um, now, if you take Jack, for example, would I have preferred to have seen Jack stay at the club? Absolutely, 100%. Um, at the time, uh, you know, I, I went in to see the, the, the sporting director at the time and I don't want to sort of tell you what he did say to me, but my words to him were, you need to get Jack sorted out of a new contract. He replied with what he said. That Put it this way, that never come to fruition. Um, do I think we lost a very good player in Jack Colbert? Absolutely. Um, you then look at Jordan Henderson, for example. You know, the money that was probably on offer at the club at the time, they felt it was was a fair price, so they gave Jordan the opportunity to go to Liverpool. Has that been the wrong decision? You tell me. Has it? Nothing from the club. Yeah, yeah, you say that, but would he have developed like he has at Liverpool? You don't know, do yeah. you? So do you see what I'm saying? Oh, yeah. So it's really good on Jordan. Well done, mate. We've done what we wanted to do at the time. We'd have never known what was going to happen with him here. So he's gone there. Um, you know, the same with Jordan, same with, uh, who else there, Waggy. You know, the one with Waggy at the time, I felt a little bit with that one because he'd only really just started getting in around the first team and he was the first player that I can really remember 
going from the academy in my time that played in our first team and that first game against Man United on Boxing Day. And I tell everybody this, it was the most excited I've been at Christmas for a long, long time because it was a first product. But he had earned that chance to go out and play there at the Stadium of Light, Man United, Boxing Day, you know, 48,000. That was a big, big test in itself. But I tell you what else it done. It set a benchmark for the players at the time as well to say, well, Waggy can do it, can you do it? You challenge yourself, can you do it type thing. So I don't think getting frustrated with it. I'd like them to all be here. Don't get me wrong. Yeah. I'm not saying that. I'd love them all to be here. You know, what I love at this moment in time to have all of these players at our club and us to be sitting pretty in the Premier League, absolutely. But I just think it's 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 not beneficial to look back with if only's and this, that and the other. At the end of the day, those boys have gone off and got their careers, you know, and good on them as well. I think as a club, not just the academy, as a club, we should take great pride in that. Could either of you give us an eye? an overview, sorry, of how we scout youngsters um, sort of at the grassroots level, but also from other clubs, because I think fans aren't sure what the process is. I mean, do you just go watch a game on a Sunday morning, just pick a random one, or do you no. pick out players who you know are going to be good? Yeah, so we've got a, a team of academy scouts, uh, around 20, uh, that will systematically go out and, and watch all the local games. Uh, they would highlight a player that, that they they liked, um, the pathway would be usually be if someone's immediately a bit special they'd possibly go straight onto a trial with the academy team at that age group usually it would be a development centre a shadow squad and then invited into the uh, actually academy team itself um, but no there's like I said we have around 20 scouts out there every weekend covering all the local games uh, and doing reports on individual players of interest one of the things I've, 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 I've always liked to have done, and I, and I hope we are looking to do this going forward, is that relationship with local clubs is vital for me. And like what Paul said, we have 20 scouts that be out watching games, but we can get relationships with all the, the with all the clubs, not just the best clubs, but all the clubs in the area. But, but And they know they could have a direct line example to Paul or myself or one of our staff to say, listen, you need to come and look at this play. It's a bit special. Mm-hmm. Give us a heads up on it. Us as a... A city can benefit from that as well us as a club because we're actually saying well we've got a good player maybe it'd be worth it and that connection between them between the grassroots club and our club I think should be there and I think that's important and if we were ever to take a player from that then I think that down the line as it goes uh, should there be a, some sort of recompense to said club absolutely but I also think what is important is that that club still feel able that if things don't work out for that player that you can go back into that that club as well. I think the connection between grassroots football and our club should be like that. Do you you sc- can't see that, so I'm just imagining. <laughs> Do you scout elsewhere in the UK? I mean, is there a catchment area you're allowed to scout in or are you allowed to go well, further? Well, we can go anywhere, can't we? Yes. Uh, I mean, we predominantly look locally for the younger age groups. I said once you start going above 16, yeah, you, you can recruit from anywhere. We'd be looking at... Uh, anyone Liverpool anyone down south you've obviously got to think of the cost implications of, of bringing someone from away I think number one would be or certainly my priority is to get the best people from this area I've done an article in the paper and I, I don't know why I kept it it was probably about maybe it's 2007 maybe around that time and I actually said in it the most important thing we should do as a club is saturate make sure in the local area any player that has the ability and the potential to represent the club, we should be we should know about it. Absolutely, we should saturate our area, our catchment area, as much as we can. Mm-hmm. 
if within that we don't get what we need and we then have to filter further out or even go abroad, then so be it. But I do think it's important that within our catchment area, we make the most of it. I think if it's gone the other way around, if I think if Man United had taken players from this area and we're losing out and we're not we're not doing something right, if we weren't aware aware of that player and we're losing out, then like well, there's all, also the other thing that Man United coming from and they can, there's probably might be nothing we can do, but we should be aware mm-hmm. of them because if we're not, why not? What can you tell us about the involvement of Juan Satori in introducing South American talent in the academy? Because Stuart Donald admitted that there's logistical issues to that, but that's something he's been interested in. Is that something you're involved in, or yeah, does Juan I mean, just drop off ten people? And no, see, there's not none of that's actually happened yet. It's very much in its infancy. Uh, the idea, even itself, um, for me, it's something to explore. What, why would we not try and tap into someone that's so influential in in Uruguay? Some with so many contacts, let's explore the possibility if we can take advantage of that. Um, obviously, the logistics of bringing over a group of young players from South America needs worked out. It certainly wouldn't be a case of flooding the academy with with players from Uruguay. Um, the logistics of actually even identifying the talent over there and making an assessment of them is is still being discussed. So we're still a long way from from that actually happening. Uh, but yeah, it is being talked about, and, and I'm open to it. I say there's there's a lot of factors that need considered, bringing players over the other side of the world, and the impact that'll have on the the current academy players. I say all need considered, but I, I'm open to it. I'm, as I've done with all of the staff and and everybody around the club, I'm open to ideas. I think there's not there's no bad ideas, just ones that we can do and ones that we can't do. Is there plans to? extensively scout foreign youngsters I've had obviously Joel Osoro uh, success story uh, came through obviously moved to Swansea in the summer but is that something the club's going to continue to do or is the focus now more on a lot some of the time it is you're influenced by agents as well and they're telling you about players and do you extensively scout you I wouldn't have said we do really do you no. I don't think that's feasible to do that as such I think we've got some trusted agents that have got a track record of of recommending players of interest of, of decent quality uh, we've recently taken a, a player from, from Ireland we've taken one from France so there is that network over there like Bolly says what I say it's extensive and we've, we've covered all of Europe no I just logistically it's just not possible but we, we do certainly have contacts in Europe and, and we're certainly aware of players and we used to bring players over from abroad to train with the club so Lyndon Gooch was yeah. one of them is that something that the club still do now? I think when you look back and with, with Lyndon and that, and uh, I mean, I think he was 12 years old when he came over originally with the academy. That um, Do academies come and train? Their players do come over and train with us, don't they? And, and I mean, it, it was a different scenario back then. I think he was involved in it. I think it was called the Pacific Academy. I think I'd been out there and coached. They'd come over here. And then, you know, Lyndon had the right passport, which helped as well, dual passport. And we saw enough in Lyndon to keep bringing him back. And it was as probably as good as you could ever wish when you consider that at 12-year-old, I think it was he first came over, he's now currently starring in our first team. And, you know, he's integrated in to the Sunderland way of life so well and the Northeast way of life so well. I mean, I know his, his own family well. I know the family of his partner really, really well and that. And I think it's quite... A unique story to be honest with you how he is really when you consider where he's from and that I mean we went over there for this end of season tour 
and we all went to Santa Cruz and that, and it's slightly different to Sunderland. Um, <laughs> but he loves it. You know what I mean? Absolutely loves it up here. So I think that, that that's the sort of thing, that if the opportunity arose, it would be something that Paul would discuss. And if he felt it was beneficial, then I think we would do it. If it was one of those just for the sake of it, I think sometimes you've got to ask yourself, is it worth it? But if there was, there is a benefit to a degree to it, then yeah, you would look to do it. I believe that we did have or still have academies in a couple of different countries. Uh, is that true? Turn with the countries first. Oh, I don't know the countries. Nor do I. Have you got any anywhere else? <laughs> I don't, I don't think they're academies. I think what it is, there was like uh, what you would class as a, a say, partnership or something like that, similar to the one we're talking about in America. Are they still active? Not really, no. As no. far as I'm aware, no. Um, I think sometimes things run their course, people change, you know, something restructures and that. Um, you, but you've still got those people out there but there's not really that partnership at Anink anymore. I know that uh, the ones you're talking about, I know. We did talk a little bit before about, you know, sort of philosophies from the first team down, but is there any clubs that you've sort of earmarked as being, you know, Southampton do it well, for example? You say Southampton do it well, but... Or have you, done it yeah, well. Yeah, you have previously. done it well. And, but then Borough people, as well, could, but, but Borough as well, but then you could argue that we've done all right as well. Yeah. No, and and that, that's my thing. And I think it's important that you look at other clubs and ask yourself... You know, or look at it and go, well, they've done well. Is there anything we can take from them to enhance what we do? I think it's also vitally important that we look what we have done and we are doing, and we say, actually, we're not doing a bad job either. And, you know, the people within the academy over the years, whether it be current, past, have done a really, really good job. I think what it is important to be open to, to new ideas, but not to sometimes get away from the fact, yeah, Southampton done it well, but so if we, and I'd like to think maybe it's down at Southampton, they're looking up and going, Sunderland are doing something yeah. well as well. So, you know, yeah, I do believe in looking elsewhere and, and not taking their ideas, but is there anything better they've done? But also sometimes blow a bit of your own smoke at your jacksie as well. Yeah, I'm a big, big believer in that, that we need to find our own identity. We can take little bits from, like say, Southampton or, or anywhere else. But I think in this country, we've got a tendency of just looking at something and thinking, that's great, we'll do that. I think the England team did it for years. That... Uh, France was successful, so you know, that's the right way. Spain was successful, or we'll, we'll do it that way. Germany was successful, or we'll do that way. It's probably only now that we've actually got our own identity and our own way forward that you actually see some progress. Yeah. And I think we've got to be the same. We can take little bits from everybody, but we've got to do what works for us. Does the FA have a, any influence over academies? Do they? In what respect? So do you know the talk about having um, sort of building players for the England squad? Obviously, they've yeah. got St George's Park, but do they influence sort of what needs to be trained or is that not really I think that the the triple P can have a degree of influence on individual stuff and what you should be doing the criteria for certain stuff but I think as a club I think what is important you have your own identity as yeah. well now we've, within that uh, identity we have players that can go on and play for England we'll, we'll be well happy with it but I think it would be unfair that that pigeonhole them they can give you ideas when you go on the FA coaching courses they give you ideas and can you implement that back within your club can you Use that absolutely, but at the end of the day, sometimes you have what you have, and you've got to make the most of what you've got. And I'm a marginal, right? Yeah, well, I think we've we've England as a, as a country has developed this England DNA. I don't think that's been conveyed to the football clubs. Yeah. That the the FA would would hope that we as football clubs are, are developing players to to aspire to that level and to mm. to be a part of that England DNA. But that's actually not been past the football clubs I think that's probably a, a, the fact that, that it's not as 
they've missed a trick a little bit. I think if, if that's best practice and that's where they see it, I think we should be involved in that in some think, capacity. Or maybe then when you look at it, when you consider that they've basically take all the best players they can see and which is pretty much it now. They have their own training camps, which they do their own DNA through, which we in turn will benefit from as well. It's like they're an elite super club then, isn't it, really? We're taking all the talent from everywhere and now mm. we're going to be this elite super club. So I think we will benefit from it when the players come back. They could give our, our staff or coaches good ideas, but I, I do think it's important you have your own identity as well. We're Sunderland Football Club. It feels like they're quite secretive about, about mm. it. I, I'm, I'm the opposite. I'm quite open about what we do and how we do it because as much as people might replicate what we do, I don't think they can rep replicate how we do it in terms of you, you can't copy people. I, th I think we've got the best people to be able to deliver that programme and if someone tries to copy it, I just don't think it'll have the same effect. What do you make of the results for the under-23s this season? Obviously, the, they're not doing too well, but we probably have reasons for that, the fact that the players are... I think I covered it earlier on and this is something that I think we've always got to be aware of. If you look at the current situation, for example, last night, yeah, we had players involved in the first team manager's squad last night. You then go to a game further down the line, you might have a crossover between the 23 game and the first team game. So some of our elite first team players, uh, 23 might be with the first team. So therefore that gives the opportunity for other players in our 23s. They might come up against a team that might be age-wise totally different. So it's a challenge to them in mm -hmm. itself. So it's always going to be like that at the moment. But what we should always say to ourselves is, are the players in each team being challenged? Are their needs being met? Well, the answer to that is, is yes. And yeah, there are going to be days when, you know, we might get beat 2-0. But then when you analyse the performance, look at the individuals are playing and how they've played, are we getting out of them what, what we need, what they need? Well, I think that's the answer. And the answer to that is yes. Is it going to be frustrating for some people to look so we're getting beat all the time? You need to know the nuts and bolts of it all to realise at the moment we have our under-23 players out on loan. We have a lot of under-23 players involved in the first team, so we are very young in our under-23 group. If you look at some of the under-23 players that are playing at the moment, could be playing in our under-18s as well. So in time, this will benefit them. At the moment, it might be a pain in the backside if they're getting beat. What they've got to say to themselves is, are we improving? Am I doing my job? Am I doing my job to the best of my ability? Will it build up resilience? Absolutely, because they'll learn that it's nothing worse than getting beat. What can I do to improve myself to get better? When they start seeing that and they see how all the hard work produces, I'd like to think long-term, they'd be a better rounded player as well. In a, in a perfect world, obviously, we, we'd want both. We'd want the mm -hmm. 23s to be picking up results and uh, developing players for the first team. Uh, if you're going to ask for one or the other, then then I'll take players being developed and, and actually getting in the first team. I said, me and Bolly, I think, mm -hmm. are the same in terms of we hated losing, playing, probably training as well. We'd probably have rows with people even in training. Mm. Uh, people people weren't doing what they were supposed to be doing. So it's difficult for us to accept uh, defeats and bad results, but we've got to kind of remove ourselves from that and see the bigger picture. I, I know that Elliot's taken a little bit of criticism because of the results. I, I tried to come out on Twitter and, and take that away from him because I, I take responsibility for that. I, I understand exactly why that's happening. Uh, like Bolly said, the amount of players that we've got up and in and around the first team, we've got we average over five people in the first team squad from the academy this season. Uh, last night, we have more making the debut. Uh, some, of, some of the other players, like Elliot uh, and Max, we've, we've put out on loan. So like Paulie says, the, the actual 23s that are left are a young 23s. The long-term plan is that that will benefit them 
Uh, it's kind of short-term pain for long-term gain, hopefully. So I understand the frustration. We're frustrated by it. Uh, and I understand fans see, see those results and think what's going on with the 23s. But you kind of have to trust us that there is a plan in place and we feel it'll be of a benefit in the in the future. It's funny, I, mean, I remember like when I was taking the 21s, you would have that period where you would take them, coach and train them. You know, we're in the Premier League, whatever situation we are there, for one of them to break into the first team is like pretty hard, if not non impossible at the time. That door's a lot wider open now than what it is. My thing then was, right, so I have a team that of good players. You know, I remember years and years and years ago when the under 18 stepped up, we went from the first division, a championship, sorry, into the Premier League. And I think if we'd stayed in the championship, I would have backed eight out of the under 18s going on to play in the first team. We then went into the Premier League and that probably reduced to two, which ultimately proved correct. Um, I can remember like taking them and we'd be doing smashing, everything would be great. And then it would get to the stage where you'd look at your players and they weren't being challenged. Now, you know they're not then going to play in our first team because of where we are. So you've then basically got to send them all out on loan to get careers in the game. And you read John Egan's article, it was absolutely spot on. I can remember John coming to me, you know, he wasn't going to get in our first team. The manager at the time um, felt that he wasn't what he wanted. My thing then was, yeah, I have John Egan as my captain. I, I pretty much win every week. Did I want John Egan as my captain? No, I wanted John Egan to get a career in the game. So in this situation, all the, the better players in the sense of the word for Elliot are probably out there doing that. Now the younger players are going to be challenged and the same situation out then. So all these lads would have gone out on loan. The young players then step back up and, and I can fast forward it to we played down at Man City and we had a team of players that had stepping up and we got beat 6-2. And to be fair to City, they give us it on the night. And we spoke about it as a group afterwards and Georgie played and, and all that. And we then went to Reading on the Tuesday night and I think we drew one all and the team was completely and utterly different. It was now a team of lads that were aspiring to get into the mm -hmm. 21s. Now, once they've achieved that bit, they don't want to stay there. They want to get out being challenged to play, you know, whether it be loan football to get in their first team or to get out on loan to get a career in the game. So sometimes it's really important that we don't just see a result in a game. You have to know the nuts and bolts and a lot of people don't get to see that. So they do react on what they see and I understand that. But both myself and Paul, of, of, it's of paramount importance for us that the players develop where they need to. So if that is in our 18s, it's there. If it is in our 23s, it's there. If it is out on loan, it's there. But we try and give them the best opportunity to get a career in the game, like I said, whether it's our club or another club. We've seen a lot of the under-23 players this year. When they have made the jump, they've played in different positions. So but what I was going to ask is, is how how do you feel about them players when they get put in? So Denver Hume, I think, came in initially yeah. as a right-back, but it's actually a left-back. Yeah. How do you feel about them not getting put in the right position? Because that can surely... In an ideal them. world, right, you would say, well, give them their best chance by putting them in their best position straight away. But do you not think also that's a challenge in itself? Because yeah. if they then... I'm going to say salt. If they play within their self because they're not playing where they want to play, I'll be questioning their attitude a little bit. Mm -hmm. But if I'm saying to them that is an opportunity, I will take responsibility for the fact you're not playing in your primary position, which I guarantee the manager would have spoke to them about. Go out and do this. This is why. Now, if that player doesn't embrace that, have you got a player that you really want? Well, the answer is probably not. So, truthfully, give them the chance. Say to them, take it. Yes, I will take the responsibility for playing you out of position, but... Go and have a go. Go and show me what you're made of. I don't think you can wait 
for the perfect time to come. I don't think you can wait. No. If you're left back, oh, well, I'll just wait till the left back spot comes up. It doesn't happen like that in football. Like I made my debut at Carlisle at 17. And in I was, goal. <laughs> I would have played in goal if they asked me to. Uh, I played centre half and literally somebody decided that in the first thing they didn't want to play a defensive midfield because they felt they, they were a bit more creative than that. All right, then don't play. Paul, do you want to play centre midfield? I'm like, yeah. I've never played there before in my life. You say yeah, and I get a chance in the first team. How do you do? I actually did okay. It was a uh, tough, <laughs> tough Moses running around. Bigger. Um, <laughs> it's coming from you. <laughs> <laughs> I, I got remember Alan Ball put me in midfield at Portsmouth once as like a well, I don't know what was it. Was definitely wasn't creative. That's for sure. God, I died on my ass, big star. Like, yeah, that, that's like, what I struggled yeah. with. I was I was used to head heading it and, yeah, and yeah. being in position, but yeah, that running box to box, yeah, I'm not sure that was yeah. for me. What are the characteristics and personality traits that you look for in a young player? So is the, you know, you're interested in somebody, you meet them, is the things that you're like, we're not touching him no matter how good he is because of how he acts? I think, yeah, there there is, I say the characteristics, personality traits, whatever you want to call it, behavioural things you look at and you watch, you assess. Um, are you always going to get the perfect person? The answer to that is definitely not. But you would like to get as near as possible to do it. My my biggest thing is always, and I think uh, the gaffer, you know, do you love playing football? You're in love with it. If you looked at a footballer now, what are your reasons for playing? You know, like, is it because you, you, you like winning? You know, you like winning championships, you like winning medals, or is it you like nice cars? Do you see what I mean? Mm-hmm. Um, one of the best players I've ever seen that really, I, I kick myself still to this day about it. I went to watch a player at Coventry and They'd sent me down to watch him. i just had my knee replaced. I was probably feeling the light. It was sore and all that. So I went down there, sat there, freezing cold. And this young kid came out and he had uh, white skins on, white boots. Uh, probably epitomised everything, I think. Oh, here we go again like that. And I watched him and I kicked myself afterwards because I had pigeonholed him a little bit. And even though I knew miles better than that, but what I saw was an a player that was absolutely in love with playing football and he knew how to do it as well. I mean, it was like watching a kid in the park because he was taking the, the goal kick, uh, not the goal kick, the corner kicks, the free kicks. Uh, he always wanted to get on the ball. It was brilliant to watch. And he currently plays for Leicester City. And I went away raving about him. And the biggest thing for me was, you could see he had a good attitude because he, he loved playing football. He just he loved playing football I do wonder sometimes nowadays how much players are really in love with playing football do they see the possibilities of what they can get and I don't know maybe it's just me being cynical but I think when you're younger and again yes I am of a different era and a slightly different era to Paul but the thing was at the time you played football because you you wanted to win championships you wanted to win cups you wanted to be probably in, in itself quite well respected because you were a good footballer Nowadays, sometimes it's it's the respect is seen in a different way. Talk to us about Ballymumba. How good do you think he can be? Uh, I mean, obviously, we don't want to blow too much smoke up him, but, you know, I mean, how how do you reckon he's potentially a Premier League player? Potentially. I mean, there's a lot of pressure on him. I think there's a lot of expectation, even within the building, on him that we need to manage. I think because he's been in and around the first team, you, he drops back down and plays with the... The 23 is saying, and you watch him and you think, yeah, Bali did okay today. But if any other 16, 17 year old had played like that in the 23s, mm-hmm. you'd be absolutely raving about him. It's just because it's Bali and, and you expect so much because you, you know he's capable of it. So he's, he's still got a long way to go in terms of like, th- there's a lot of things that, that can happen from now 
uh, over the next two, three years. But a couple of things that he has got that will definitely help him. He's got a fantastic attitude, like a really well-grounded lad, uh, like a, a real pleasure to be around, like a, a real success story in that, uh, away from even his football ability. Uh, so the staff can can give themselves a big, and his, and his parents can give themselves a big pat on the back for how he is as a person. That'll certainly help him going forward. It's, I, I love Bali. I think he's he's exciting to watch. He's one of those players that you want him to get the ball. You're like, go on, give him it. Let's let's see what he does. Um, but he's, he's still got things to learn. He's he's kind of bypassed a lot of his development in terms of like the 18s and 23s and launched straight into the first team. He's had that taste. He maybe needs to come back a little bit and get some more experience in in the 23s, especially before he, he makes that step up again. But someone definitely like and definitely excited about. It's, it's interesting because when Barley come in, Brace done a lot of work with him, working on his passing short, long with his left. I remember there was something Brace used to say about him and Brace to go out and work a lot with him on it as well. So obviously that's helped him as well, the staff at the time. If you was to look at Barley as, as a young person, he's very humble. Uh, if you go back to what we say, to what do we look in players and certain characteristics, there's a definite humility, a desire to work hard with a great attitude. There's no what I class as brazen sulkiness if it doesn't go his way. He sees everything as a challenge. If he then, for me, could look upon, you know, when expectation of you is high as it is going to be now with Barley because of the situation, uh, if there's a player that he could look to, I would say one of the ones that I used to really like was Jordan Henderson. Jordan would always challenge himself. Barley's had a lot quite at a young age. Jordan had that slightly later, but Jordan would always challenge himself, always want to get better. Barley's got that attitude to do it as well. And and we do have high expectations of him. You watch him in a game. Sometimes I watch him in a game, you forget his age, and you do expect more from him. Now, without putting him under undue pressure, I think that's not a bad thing. Because if he wants to be elite, if he wants to be top, 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 that's what you're going to have to deal with. So get used to it now that the expectation of you is high. Get used to now that we expect you to play pretty well. Yeah, you're going to have the odd game where you're... You're not very good. I mean, I used to have one or two of those, but not many, right? But expect it and get on with it. You got that, Laura, didn't you? No one else did. <laughs> uh, have you got enough time for a few questions? Yeah. Uh, so firstly, I want to put you on the spot, actually. Mm-hmm. Can you tell me one thing about your Sunderland career that you've never told anyone before? One thing about my Sunderland career that I've never told anybody before? I've heard everything, so there's no, nothing you can tell I, I do. I was going to say, yeah, I do for the poor... poor. <laughs> Shout out Paul's stories. I shouldn't really say that, should I? Um, not probably really. Uh, that may be something you never told that in all the media. Can I swear or not? Uh, no, not really. Um, I'm trying to think of anything. Not really. I can look back my career. There was, there, there was one time that I actually was told my career was over. Like, um, I got septicemia in my leg. Never thought nothing of it. Got kicked on the shin while I uh, um, Stoke City and thought nothing of it. And I never drank much as a player. So that night, though, we were going out. And then I think it was the next night was partner. Do you remember who the partner is? See, Clark, you asked me. Oh, okay, like, yeah, okay, so you're a bit slow yeah. there, aren't you? It was his birthday. <laughs> so we all went through um, to Gosworth Park. And obviously I had a few more drinks and... I think my wife's words to me as I tried to slide down the banister was what the FNL are you doing that for? But I quite thought it was quite funny. <laughs> Anyhow, so on the Monday morning, I thought nothing of it. I thought I was a little bit probably hungover from the day before, but my shin and I felt 
awful. Like, and I mean awful. So then next day we we'd gone and trained. I couldn't train my leg hurt too much. Then I thought, oh, I've got the flu. So when I went, by the Wednesday, I was rushed into Hartlepool General um, and had blood poisoning. My shin was just an absolute mess. And I was on like a, an intravenous drip and I really, really, really hate needles. I've got this thing about needles. And the one I, thing Paulie's scared of. Yeah, well, no, there's plenty more I'm scared of. Don't <laughs> worry about that. And I, I even had to have a flu jab the other day. And I said, the doctor went, are you everything right with needles? I went, no, I hate them. And he went, oh, why is that? I said, why would I like somebody coming at me with a needle? I went, all I want to do is thump you like that, you know. So, of course, I'm in there and I'm in. And it's, so I've had all this done and it was a horrendous time. But the funniest bit was, was so I got through all of that. And on my first day back in training, like imagine I've worked really hard. I mean, I was running around the stadium at like Christmas day at 8 o'clock in the morning because I wanted to get fit. And Jerry Donaghy was outstanding. But my first day back was Sacco magnificent he went you're all right i went i i i like that he went uh i went why he went oh we were told you'd never play again now not a lot of people know that and they assume that you just get on with an injury but from a from a mental health point of view it's quite a challenge knowing your career might be finished but then i also think that's the thing where you embrace it a lot as well um and i did carry on playing that was the year we got to the playoff final um thoroughly enjoyed that and then the following year we win the league so yeah a lot of the time people assume you're a hard nut and all that lot when you play but we do suffer and Paul would have been the same with a lot of injuries and that you know I broke the jaw I had major maxillofacial surgery that people don't know about loads of different things so not sure really that's what you wanted to know but no that'll do that'll do it's a good story how do you feel about being referred to as a hard man and do you think that often underplays how good of a footballer you actually were Sorry, can you say that again? Did you just repeat the last bit? <laughs> was I? Um, I think what it is, and I used to say this when people were about hard player. There's hard men and there's competitive players. I'd like to think I was a competitive player. I've, I've no doubt there's a lot harder people out there who played football than me. Well, I know that for a fact, like because they used to come up to you after, and I used to be thinking to myself, I hope this don't come with fisty cuffs like that. You know what I mean? It might have to be a swift boot in the bollocks, like, and and get away with it, but. I think it was more, you're competitive. I hated losing. Paul said about it earlier, I hated losing. So if I saw the ball and I go back to Hurt, you remember Hurt? No. Nah. See, your word association's crap. David I Dunn. I was going to come back. Right, David Dunn. <laughs> it was like, I would really, if I could hurt somebody in the tackle, I couldn't help it. I want to do it. And if it meant leaving one on you, like, oh, I've had it done to me. You know, I've had my jaw broken in a game. So... No, I think competitive would be the word. But when people say to me, and this is my argument with them, oh, uh, you weren't the best footballer. I get that one sometimes. Oh, you were as competitive, this, this and this, but you weren't the best footballer. Or they start the conversation with that. And I nowadays go, listen here, mate. I don't. I used to just ignore it because I used to think, oh, bollocks, I can't be asked with it like that. Now I go, right, tell me what a good footballer is. A skill. I could play with both feet, no problem. Look at my goals I scored with my left foot for Sunderland. Could I head the ball? Yeah. Oh, you were great in the air. Could I do this? Oh, God, you were good at that. So I'd list seven or eight different things that are prevalent to the skill of a footballer. And I'd do it all. And then at the end of it, I'd go, so I weren't that fucking bad then, was I? And that would be me. <laughs> do you see what I mean? So I used to get humpy about that. Um, but no, I, I don't think you can ever get away from the fact your identity. Mine was, I was very competitive. And I think that's something that we all have. You know, if you look at Kevin Phillips, his identity would have been scoring goals. Mine was competitive. I don't know what Paul's was, 
but we all have our own one. And I think that's important that if you said to a young player, well, describe yourself. And then ask yourself afterwards, am I really like that? Yeah. Well, I could say about me, yes. We played the word association and I forgot all the words you said, but you did say you wanted to come back to a few of them. Right, go on then, give me one. So I reckon the one I'm going to pick out here is Peter Reid. I think with Peter Reid, I think you, you know, you, he epitomised exactly what we needed at that moment in time. I think the thing about the joke he tells in the game at Burnley was spot on. It was about a snail and it was hilarious. I can't tell you the full joke, but it was funny. But still, to me, going back to Peter Reid, and you know, I said probably great, whatever it was, Peter Reid was a certain unique character. And I mean, I can remember one time in training, for example, he hated losing. And him and Martin Scott had like a, a, t- a tackle where I think Scotty left one on him. And the gaffer got up, you know, in his Scouse accent with his, started, do you want some like that? Well, you can imagine the players, we thought it was hilarious. So, of course, for the rest of the se- session, we were trying to leave the ball short. So, <laughs> him and uh, Scotty and Reedy were going into a 50-50 and having a fight, and it was hilarious. But what he'd done exceptionally well was be normal. Sometimes, and again, I'll go back to stuff we've been about, people about reinventing the world when they coach and manage. Basics are vitally important. Get them right, everything else then you can build on. And Reedy done that really, really well. Really done the basics well. The best thing he ever done, though, and I'll say it was probably the best thing that ever happened to my career from start to finish was bringing Bobby Saxton in. Because whereas Reedy could be the aggressive, in-your-face, want-to-fight-you as well type, and Sacco would nail you if he had to take for me. I mean, I lost Steve McManaman once at Liverpool, and he scored. And I wouldn't look at the bench because I knew Saka was shouting at me, so I ignored it. And Saka then, later on, just waited. And about 10 days later, something happened in training and he turned around and said, where the FNL were you when McManaman scored? So he hadn't forgot. But Sacco was unbelievable. As a bloke, as a coach, as a person, he encompassed everything. If someone said, model yourself, and I think it's important you keep your own personality. But I'd like to think traits I have are very similar to his. But what he is was just a great person. I saw him the other day. We ended up in uh, the golf bit at Ramside in the private members bar. I went for a cup of tea with him and his lad, Neil. And he's up there and doing this with his arms, effing and jeffing and God knows what. I'm so glad no one else is in there. But then he, And then he'll sit down and go, sorry about that. I got carried away again. And it's brilliant. And he is magnificent. But Peter Reeb, brilliant for me at that time. But definitely bringing Sacco in for me was the best thing that's ever happened at this club. And I'm going to do one final one. I'm going to pick, I'll pick Niall Quinn. How Quinn. do you feel about Niall Quinn leaving when he left? I think probably Niall felt the time had come for him to leave. You know, let's face it, I think everything, you know, maybe Niall had a thing where at the time he thought, actually, I've done my bit here, I need to explore something new. I really, again, I'll go back to, I don't know what the surrounding mm-hmm. reasons why he left. What I will say, though, is like any player that you ever want come to the club. So when you look back when Niall came to the club, he was going to be the lad that was going to score the goals that was going to keep us in the Premier League. He got injured. We never had that. Then he has to fight his way back. And then obviously he then becomes what he has become, an absolute legend up here. But the thing with Niall, you would never want to fight him because he used to say, I'll bust you. That was his words, like if he was going to punch you. But he was more of a, he was more of a, oh, I'll not be doing that. You know, like I'd be captain and I'd say to him, like he'd be part of the committee, right, now you need to go and nail him about that. Oh, no, I'm not doing that. And he wouldn't want to fall out of you. He'd rather talk to you about it. He wouldn't want to nail you. But you wouldn't want to get nailed by him, if you see what I mean. He's a big lad, isn't he? But in terms of humour, absolutely hilarious. Like, the wit, you know, he's already had 
he's hilarious. I mean, I spoke to him the other day, but very, very knowledgeable about everything. Very, very well educated, very knowledgeable. But the biggest thing is he could walk into a room and light it up by just being Nile Quinn. Do you see what I mean? Yeah. So I'm I'm so glad that I had the opportunity to play with him. But what people also forget about him as a player was his first touch was absolutely immense for a big player. And, you know, you sort of look at Kevin Carl and Kevin Carl would say he model himself on Nile Quinn. Well, well, Nile Quinn's touch was literally dead. Kev Carl's was about two metres. Do you see what I'm saying? Like, but Kev would laugh about that as well. But he was he's just what he is. He's just a genial, lovely, lovely bloke. Okay, final one before we sign off. Uh, I want to ask what makes Sunderland such a special club to you, Kevin? Because you've you've dedicated all your retired life, well, retired from playing yeah. to Sunderland. I, I think the when you first come to the club, some people say you either get it or you don't. Paul would have experienced what he has done. And, and to be honest with you, having come now when he did, he probably couldn't have come at a better time, if you get what I mean, because it's like the new changes and everything's different now. When I came to the club, we were in what is the old uh, Division One, which is the Premier League now. I struggled, to be honest with you. Um, and my wife and my little boy were down in Portsmouth. I was driving up and down, horrendous. And I still will go back to this same story. We played Torpedo Moscow at Roker Park. I played quite well in the game, even though I've not been very good up till then. I scored an own goal, slotted past Tony Norman. He came out too quick, I swear to God. It wasn't my fault, right? <laughs> he came out. I slotted past him. We get beaten the game, but I actually played okay. We just moved into a little house, bungalow in Willington, where I still speak to lads from there now. Uh, still have the same plumber, but it still comes to me house now. And I goes in the uh, back to the house, turned around, sat down, done whatever like that. And I said to Miss, I'll go and get some Chinese. Oh, that'd be nice. So I goes into the village. Again, never been in the village before. Goes in the Chinese, orders me food, stands there waiting. And a bloke walked in, three sheets to the wind. And he's looked at me through the pissed eyes, you know, like the squint like that. And his head's going and he's looking at me and I'm acknowledging him. And his first words were, a year, Kevin Ball. I'll never forget it. And I thought, oh, I found a fan here like that. And I went, yeah, I am actually like that. And he went, well, you're effing shite like that. And told me I wasn't very good in them words and a few more. And I remember looking at him thinking, well, that wasn't very nice, but there wasn't really a lot I could say because he was actually right. So I get some Chinese and the bit that probably really done it. So I got home and I was telling me missus about it. So I can never guess what. I went, this bloke in the Chinese only turned around and called me effing shite like that. She honestly looked at me. She went, well, you have been, haven't you? Like that. And that was it. <laughs> just see what I mean? But the point I'm making is they were not frightened of telling you what they think. But in the same token, though, whilst criticism is there, no one likes criticism, I used it to spur me on. I used it to think, I never want anybody coming up to me, face like that, and calling me shite. Now, did I have it in the correct career at Sunday? Of course I did. But I used it to spur me on. I used it to go, I don't want people talking about me. I want to be a good player. I want to work hard and make sure I'm a success up here. So I actually used it to go, basically, the proverbial F you wrong with sleeves, I'll show you. And I've always said to players coming into this club, if you come to the club and you have ability and you work your balls off, you'll become a god up here. If you have an ability and you, you're okay and you do a little bit and every now and again you're great and then you're not, the fans will have you for a while, then they'll want to cut your nuts off. And it's your own fault because what you're really saying is, I don't want to work hard. Well, they won't have that because that's what the fundamentals are based on. And when we talk about in the academy, that's what we want from our young players is to know there's an opportunity for them, but you've got to work hard. And I think that there and that Chinese was probably 
the best thing that ever happened to me up here. And then I've loved it ever since. I've had ups and downs. I've had things go against me. The, the amount of things I could talk about that have happened to me since then are immense. But do I love living up this part of the country? Would I now call it home? Absolutely. Without a shadow of a doubt. Uh, so I've lived up here now 28, 28 years. And, and I left home at 16. So this is my home. Honorary Macam. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> okay, well, that was the perfect way to sign off, I think. So thanks, Paul, for coming on. No um, problem. It's been a pleasure and I kept you at 90 minutes. No, I, don't worry, I was watching it here. Like, I was timing it as well, like when to finish. Don't worry about that. And uh, thanks, Kevin, for coming That's on. Right. And Thank it would be too, good man. to get you on to talk about your career at some yep. point down the line. So uh, thanks, guys. And thanks for uh, telling me all about the Academy on Roker Report. And we've got loads of different podcasts coming up. We had one with Bob Murray. Did you listen to that? Bob was brilliant. And I'm not. He always used to send me lovely letters about, about me being captain. I used to say to him, am I the best signing you ever had? But he was like, no, no, no. Marco Gabbiadini yeah, is he... his favourite all the time. Like <laughs> <laughs> not great even... lad, Bob, It's though. Kevin Phillips now, I think. Oh, it probably is like, yeah, yeah, I'm not surprised at that. I'm... <laughs> Normally, being a little extra can be a bit much, but when it comes to healthcare, it pays to be extra. And United Healthcare makes it easy with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they supplement your primary plan, helping you manage out-of-pocket costs without the usual requirements and restrictions like deductibles and enrollment periods. So when it comes to covering your medical bills, you can feel good about being a little extra. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns.